0: Hi, this is Hope this is Kareem hi this is Katie from Washington D.C. and you're listening to Meet me Athlete Radio
1: thank you so much for, for joining us Dr. Monica Agarwal, depending on who you ask, um, uh, could be pronounced Oogaval. You were trying to uh, teach me how the, the proper pronunciation, but, but Agarwal, if you're going to type it into to Google, um, but, but uh, um, Ogoval because it uh, uh, comes from a traditionally Indian name, did I get anywhere near the proper pronunciation?
0: Yeah, I'm going to give you a, a B uh, and a B plus for trying. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, which is pretty good, you know. And so the truth is, is that for you know, I grew up and was born here, and so while I know how it should sound, I've always called myself Monica Agarwal as well. But if you talk to my parents, they would definitely say, "Oh, Monica Agarwal," you know. And so that's the. Uh, thing that sort of, you know, it's the it's the funnyisms of ethnic uh, culture and in differences in language. So anyway, Monica Agarwal <laughs> is perfect. Thank you so much for having me here. It's such a pleasure.
1: Uh, well, thank you for making time to to share a little bit of your your wisdom. I have your Body and Fire Anti Inflammatory Cookbook sitting right beside me. I am so excited to encourage my wife to to try these recipes. Um I, I say I say that because I could definitely pull off a number of these breakfasts and smoothies, but when it comes to some of the more complicated dishes, um I wouldn't do you justice if I uh tried my hand at them in the kitchen. I am very bad at following recipes. So that is an area of our of our home that my wife really, uh, takes the lead on. So I'm, I'm very well, blessed you, for that.
0: You have a healthy balance. It sounds like everybody's got their role, right?
1: I do the snow shoveling, putting out the trash, you know, all, all of that manual labor. She does more of the, uh, the, the delicate cuisine. So in any well, event, thank you so it. much. Uh, um, Dr. Monica uh, <laughs> perfect <laughs> for, for joining us and for, for creating this book. I'd love to, Maybe pick up from where you just started. Um, you were born here, uh, obviously. Um, to parents who originally came from India, but but tell us the the story of of how you discovered the plant based diet and and got into medicine and and found your place, uh, kind of balancing these these two worlds of traditional. Uh, medical practice and and obviously a, a less traditional approach to fighting inflammation through diet.
0: Yeah, you know, so um, so good question. Always always good to sort of hear the story of how it started. You know, it's always interesting because I've always maybe because of my history, of the growing up Indian, I've always had an interest in maybe quote unquote. I hate to call them alternative therapies because really so much of these therapies should be just mainstream. Um, but uh, I've always grown up interested in Ayurveda and um, sort of a more holistic approach to treating patients. So, growing up in the States and um, going to medical school here changes you. In fact, that was studied. Um, patients, students, when they first come into medical school, are more interested in learning about nutrition and lifestyle and other tools to heal the body. But as they go through the four years of medical school, they change and actually the interest changes. And that's sort of a sad thing that probably happens happened to me as well, where you're just focused on how to get the grade. I mean, I always sort of laugh because, you know, as a sideline, I teach a lot of the medical students and I teach about nutrition and I also teach sort of standard cardiology, like EKGs and how to read them. And when I read the, give the EKG talk, you know, the room is full, 200 people, lots of interaction and questions. And when I give the nutrition talk, there's like 60 people in the room. And so I asked one of the medical students one time, you know, what's up? Like, am I just suck at giving nutrition talks and really good at giving EKG talks? Uh, And they said, they started laughing and said, of course, that's not the case. It's just what's on the test. So that's unfortunately the way our system is is created is to focus on um you know it's medical school is so so hard and you're just trying to pass and you're just trying to do well and so you become you change and so even though you may come in with these grand ideals of sort of treating the whole patient at the end of the day you become a little bit jaded unfortunately and overtired and um and so you start focusing on how to get the grade. And I think that probably just happened to me as well. And then, you know, then you do, th- you're in school forever, you know, it was, you know, four years of medical school, three years of internal medicine, then three years of cardiology. Um, and then you, you're sort of out into practice. And um, over that sort of whatever that is, is seven, 10 years of training, you just change into a little bit more of the machine. Um, but to be fair, uh, in the middle of my fellowship, I did feel a little bit of, I've had it. So I did, while I was doing my cardiology fellowship or training, I also started an integrative medicine fellowship at the university of Arizona with Andy Weil. Um, and, um, because I was really trying to get that piece back of mine. Um, and then, um, after I finished, I went out into practice and when I started practice, I, you know, were taught as doctors, Uh, We're not taught in medical school how to be really good, efficient doctors. Um, And so very quickly in the first six months of practice, you learn very quickly how to become efficient because you have to see a patient in every 15 minutes, um, you have to be able to go and write, imagine seeing the patient, getting to know the patient, really feel connection, and then treat them and then write the note, all sort of in that 15, 20-minute patient visit, depending on if it's a new or follow-up. So you know you become very efficient. So I, you, know, you learn to play in the machine that you're working with. Um, at, in that time, I did a lot of um, still trying to keep hold of that part of me that loves to focus on prevention even then. I would do prevention community events where I would give uh, education on lifestyle. I would do blood pressure screenings and try to teach people about their cholesterol or their lipids and how to manage that. So I was always sort of engaged in that. I always had that community engagement. Um, The other part of this story is that I, I, um, because we are taught or maybe not taught, but it's felt or the culture is unfortunately that you don't really have children in your training. It's kind of frowned upon. It's frowned, not frowned. You know, you sort of nobody would ever say that, but you also don't, it's not looked on well, or at least it wasn't, you know, when I was going through training. And so when I finished my training, I decided to have kids. It's like, oh my God, I had my clock, whatever, whatever. And so I um, had several miscarriages, actually. I had three miscarriages in a row. Uh, One of them was fairly far along, um, and that was a very, very traumatic time for me. Um, But then when I did get pregnant with my son, um, who is now, um, you know, I have three kids now. After that, I had three successful pregnancies. Um, I really sort of was you know, 10 years of training, then multiple miscarriages. And you're like, Oh my God. So you, you really, and I wanted to have a couple kids. So I had them kind of rapid fire. So I had three kids Um, in four years. So I was sort of to joke about how I literally have pictures of myself carrying one baby, have nursing one baby, and then have one baby just attached to my toes because when I'd come home from work, they'd all be like, Mama, um, which is so fabulous, but so crazy. So I went through this spirit period where I was just doing, trying to do everything. I was managing three kids. I was trying to puree baby food. I was trying to run a f- successful cardiology clinic. And unfortunately, that's what we're forced to do in so many ways as women is that we have to balance it all, right? Because our clocks and the pregnancies need to deliver all these kids, but you wanna, you wanna be equal to a man. You don't wanna ever feel like you're not able to keep up or that somebody had to cover you or so you're doing all those things and you're trying to figure out how to, so what, what I'd sacrifice is my sleep, I would sacrifice my eating. Um, But again, there's that you feel like you have to exercise because, you know, I'm a cardiologist. I have to exercise. So you can imagine this crazy, intense world I lived in where I was trying to raise three kids, trying to work full time as a cardiologist and um, also trying to be perfect at everything. And it's only in those times where you're trying to be perfect and pushing yourself too hard, isn't it, that you break down.
1: Wow well, um there is so much there that I want to dig into from the minor details like um, 15 minutes to treat and note and do everything else for a patient to uh, yeah certainly my my wife can can commiserate with you better than I can but um, uh, we will have three kids under... The age of four as well. And, uh, and I think the two of you would get along, uh, quite nicely because <laughs> <laughs> she certainly, um, experiences the same. There's a th- you know, um, kids like their moms. It's, you know, as much as I'm like, I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm here, you know, and <laughs> they, they, uh, certainly run to her the way it sounds like, uh, your kids run to you. Um, well, just, congratulations. You, know, you made it through.
0: It. You, know, you make it through. And it's not that the men aren't so fabulous. I have a very inter- engaged husband, but the woman nurses the baby. Right. And so at the end of the day, my husband's always like, I'm just a surrogate until you get home. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it, it's like, I, he sometimes would call me and be like, how many minutes? Because, the you know, baby's crying. And I'd be like, okay, I'm in traffic. Don't feed the baby because your breasts are huge. And you just want to you want to just nurse the baby because you don't, and you don't want to pump again because you're so frustrated that you have that bloody pump. And like, I hated that pump so much by the end that I I couldn't even wash the pieces. Like I'd have to bring it home and leave it on the sink and my husband would take care of it. And so we had this unsaid discussion that when the pieces came home, he would take care of it and they would end up fresh in my, in my <laughs> bag. I don't know how they got there kind of thing um, because I had such an aversion to the pump. So he'd call me and, I, and I'd say, no, 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 don't feed her, don't feed her. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. She's like, he's like, I got I gotta feed her. I gotta take some sauce some milk. No, 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 I'll be there. You know, so like it's this crazy world we live in, you know, this unsaid, untalked about place um that we we don't uh we don't talk about much. It, it's definitely hard to be a woman. It's hard to be a woman uh in a man's world, in a in a subspecialty world. It's hard to be a man, and I don't mean to imply that it's not, but it's it's hard to it's a lot
1: harder know. to be a woman, let's be honest. For that. <laughs> There's no I, no, regu- I, no argument here.
0: Well I think the problem is is that you know um we want to we want to be equal to men and I believe that I am equal to any man and better than many men you know and I and I say that not because I'm sassy but trying to be a little sassy I guess because you know it's just that um it's just that because of that perception it's so flawed right that we we feel like we have to compete in a man's world well that's so complex and dysfunctional because we don't, we're not men and we birth babies. And I mean, this is a whole different conversation. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Matt, but, but we birth babies and we have to understand that our roles are different. And it's taken me 10 years to learn and understand that, you know, I may be as good as any man or as good as anyone in my profession, but I'm not uh, I'm different. And because of that, I have different desires and needs and things that I feel like I have to do for my family, for my kids. And that's always going to be my top priority. And that's just something that I've had to learn over time that not to try to compete in this man's world, because I don't really care. I'm not, um, I'm a different person. I I need to focus on the things that are important to me. Totally off topic, Matt. I know we were talking about nutrition.
1: (laughs) We'll we'll have to do a round two because these are these are topics that me and my wife uh, engage in you know with with some frequency because you're absolutely true and and um, it is a fascinating debate and it is only becoming more interesting and more complicated and and more controversial in this new world where um, you know uh, well. I I won't take us down that path, but to suffice suffice it to say that we, we will um have to continue our, our conversation offline and get into uh all of all of that because yeah. um I want to make sure for for our community listening, we we really get into your expertise, which obviously is well, let's pick back up at at your <laughs> biography. Um, because if yeah. I'm not mistaken, uh right around the birth of your first or your third child, one of the two, um, you were diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, correct? And, um, actually that's where my journey, just a, a quick jaunt, uh, my journey into the plant-based world started the same way. Um, not with a birth, <laughs> but, um, with a diagnosis from a cardiologist, actually that, it, it, you know, I had this rheumatoid like inflammation after, being vegan for a couple of years um and it's because i i wasn't supplementing at all um and i was clearly deficient uh in some of these nutrients that we inevitably put into complement it was the genesis of our our whole philosophy that you know to to properly um maintain a plant-based diet um optimized for health span longevity and for the long run you know, you you need to be considerate of what nutrients may not be abundantly available in whole foods, right? And and so I started um, taking a uh, omega three supplement, an algae based supplement, and and B twelve and vitamin D, and eventually some other things like iodine. And and all of a sudden, my my um, and and I should note, and focusing on whole foods as well, <laughs> because I was truly a vegan. Um, in the sense that I was eating anything that wasn't animal-based, but I wasn't a whole-food, plant-based eater. So through those two sides of the coin, which I think are are equally important, um, you know, I was able to to kind of control that systemic inflammation that that shows up as kind of a a, a rheumatoid-like diagnosis. So um, anyway, it just it, it struck me that, that it, it it's yeah. something that we we share um but i'd love to hear how you know how does that journey continue you've got three kids under the age of four and and if again please correct me if i if i'm misremembering um your your um kind of transition into a a more food-centric practice as a as a cardiologist
0: yeah so um So, you know, so the world was sort of getting back to that world of, you know, it still gives me shudders sometimes thinking about all the things that I felt I had to do and all the expectations I had on myself, but I was overtired, overstressed, sleeping about four hours a night, trying to go for runs as many days of the week, trying to manage my three kids, nursing a baby, managing heart attacks, covering the ICU. I mean, this was the world. I'm not even hundred percent sure that actually happened. You know, I know that it did, but it's hard to believe that I went through that. So during that time, about four months after I had baby number three, I started manifesting joint pain. It migrated. It started in a, in a finger. um, Then it moved to another finger. Then it moved to a shoulder and an elbow It sort of migrated around a few, every few days, someplace different. And I thought, okay, well, I know migratory joint pain. Uh, I'm First I thought, oh, I must have hit myself um, somewhere. But it was, you know, as it starts migrating all over to weird places, I thought, uh, okay, I, you know, I know migratory joint pain. I've got Lyme disease, you know, and I lived in the woods. And so I started treating myself for Lyme, but I, I didn't get better. You know, there were times where I described where I, I couldn't lift the baby up out of the crib. Um, I couldn't snap the baby buttons on the clothes. And I had written in the middle of the night, I would imagine writing letters to uh, companies um, to complain to Gap and Carters or whatever all the companies are uh, that they shouldn't make snaps and they should make ties because it's easier to do and clearly The clothes were the problem and not me. Um, I remember I changed my shoes three times because I thought the shoes were the problem. I couldn't find ones that were comfortable when the problem was that I used to feel like there was glass cutting my feet all of the time. In fact, that was the most notable symptom I had. So I, you know, a lot of denial, treating myself for Lyme. I remember there was a day that I talk about, uh, difficultly, which is the day that really I I knew that I was in trouble. And that was a day where it was about 4 AM and you have to get up at four in order to leave the house by seven because you have three kids. So two have to go to daycare. So you have to get yourself ready, get your lunch ready. You've got to nurse the baby. You might have to pump. And then you've got, I've got two dogs so the dogs had to go out. And then I had to make everybody's lunch, change all the diapers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's with two people doing it. So I gave it four, and then I remember that day because I hobbled down the stairs to let the dogs out, and for some reason the baby cried, and I remember being like, "Oh my god!" And the baby's room was near baby one and baby two's rooms, and I was like, "Oh my god, she's going to wake up the ba- the others." So I tried to run up the stairs and, um, well, that didn't work, um, because I just unable to get up the stairs and, you know, um, I had to crawl up the stairs that day. And my husband found me crying at the bottom of the crib because, um, I was unable to get the baby out of the crib and she was crying and I was crying next to her, um, because I was unable to stand up to get her out. So that was the moment, um, that I really knew I had a problem. So I still continue to avoid doctors, you know, crazy doctor who doesn't want to see doctors um, who then got, um, I ordered, had a friend of mine order some blood work for me uh, and all my inflammatory markers were highly elevated. My rheumatoid factor was high and my anti-CCP antibody, which is much more prognostic for, um, so the higher the number, the worse the prognosis. So mine was um, off the chart so if 250 or lower is considered within you know mine was greater than 250 like they don't even measure it so um i finally went to see a rheumatologist and i went to see a rheumatologist and he said what i you know what i'd already thought and he said well look you know here's the deal you have a incurable illness you will be on medications for the rest of your life um and the sooner you get on them the overall better prognosis you will have And the solution. So I I remember being floored. I remember four months postpartum, I have three kids and, you know, and he, this is how I I, I remember feeling so small, like that feeling of smallness, like it's just unbelievable how little hope he gave me. And I remember those feelings so well and thinking, God, is this how we treat people? And um, he told me that I needed to really get on medications within a week. Um, And in order to do that, I would have to stop nursing my kid, which is, you know, to me, that was a very, that was very difficult. Now, if you choose as a mom or a wife or a mother rather to not nurse your kids, that's your decision. But that's something I had decided to do. It was to nurse them. And then to be taken that control, be taken away from me was, was heart wrenching. It was so hard you know, cause I walk home when oh, I remember being at home that week and the baby would cry and I, my, the milk would start coming and I'd have to walk away. And because I had to stop nursing my kid so that I could get on these medications that were going to make me better so that I could be functional. Right. And so you, and, and I'll be on these, you leave the office thinking, wow, I'm going to be on the medicines for the rest of my life. And there's nothing we can do here. And I just got to do what I got to do. So I did, I did, and I got better. I got better, um, but I got worse. I had some side effects, but they were doable. And to be fair to the process, I mean, my hair fell out a lot. Um, I had a metallic taste in my mouth all of the time. Um, I lost a load of weight. because Everybody had remarked at how great I looked post three babies because I couldn't eat because I was metallic taste all the time. Um, but then you're getting these crazy positive feedback comments that you look so great post three babies. Go figure. And so life went on this way. You know, I take my medications. um, I had side effects, but my joints were better. And so um, about, I don't know, six months or so later, I was doing one of my community events and a woman came to see me in my office and she said, you know, I'm a nutrition consultant and I'd like to talk to you and I'd like to be part of your event and teach people about nutrition and so I said, oh, you know, look, my event's not, it's full. I can't take any more people, but thank you so much. She said, how about, how about I just, um, how about you let me do your nutrition profile? And I sort of laughed at her probably in an obnoxious way because I was already vegetarian and I felt like I was already, I'm a healthy person, right? I'm healthy. Uh, I just happened to have chronic illness. Um, and um, so I said, okay, you know, why don't we just do that? And it was the first time with that conversation that changed everything because it was the first time we started talking about the impact of the food you eat and how it triggers inflammation. So it started me on this path of starting to do the research. I'm a scientist. I like to understand what's out there. So I started reading everything. I started going to conferences. I met amazing people at Harvard and went to California. I went all over just to meet the people doing work on the gut biome and doing on stress and inflammation. And I started absorbing it and realizing that there's so much you can do in your body to your body to hurt it. And there's so much you can do to your body to heal it. And that's a fundamental problem and maybe thing that we don't understand is that, you know, you keep. We keep when we're in our 20s, we keep pushing ourselves. Oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I don't really need to sleep. And it's almost a badge of honor, isn't it? I mean, I used to in medical school, I'd say I ah, slept. I didn't sleep. I, didn't, I pulled an all nighter is what we used to call it. Um, and I nailed the test, you know, like this is the kind of cocky badge of honor kind of things we would say. But what we do in our twenties is we overdo it, right, and we at the, in our twenties we have more capacity, but over time that capacity runs out, and that imbalance becomes so shifted that you can only do it all your body can do is trigger inflammation, and it's just unhappy, it's mad at you. I always tell people, well we call it a body on fire because your body is on fire. It's mad. It's so mad at you. And, um, that's what I started learning is that, well, okay, if I've done all these things to injure my body, what are those things? And then how does it work? Then if you can injure your body, then there got it. There have to be ways that you can switch it off. Like you can switch off the inflammation. So if you can, if you can trigger it randomly out of the blue, why can't I switch it off? And if I have the gene or the genetic predisposition to have an illness like rheumatoid arthritis, well, then how do I then suppress the gene so that it isn't 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 expressing itself? If you can start it, why can't you stop it? So this is where it started my process of learning about nutrition, but also about sleep and about movement, um, about stress reduction. Um, but a huge bulk of that, of course, was nutrition.
1: Wow, um quite a journey and uh um well uh so i'm trying to decide wh- which way to go with this cuz there is so much there but i guess as you tried to transition and apply this in your medical practice and uh and in your personal life what what were some of the obstacles that you faced either as a doctor, um, you know institutional friction, um, or at home, you know, was your husband totally on board? Was it an overnight change in terms of your diet? Uh, were you, were your kids? I don't know what ages they were at, at that point, but was it just overnight success and in, in transitioning fully, or or what did that what did that transformation look like either professionally or or personally?
0: Yeah. So personally, my husband was a meat eater. Like he was the, he would um, grew up eating meat and um, we cooked Indian food at home and I'm, I'm I was vegetarian. So at home we would eat vegetarian. Um, But I was also known to eat two or three cheese sticks a day at the time, but that didn't really affect him. But what, what, what happened at the beginning was I just started making changes. I've never been the type of person to, um, tell people that this is what you should do. Like, this is what you have to do. Rather. Um, I can tell people if they come to me, I will tell, and they ask for my help then I will help what I think is the best thing based on what I know, but I'm never going to be the type of person who comes in and says, look, this is it. This is what we're doing. That's it. So even though I changed my lifestyle, I never asked him to change because he needed to figure it out himself, what he needed to do for himself. But my children, as I was changing, I changed them as well. I mean, they were still little, you know, they were only, you know, a few months old and then I guess I had two and four, right? So it was kind of easy for them to change because they were already just eating, you know, basic foods mostly fruits and vegetables anyway. We eat a load of hummus in our house. I mean, we sort of joke about, you know, how much hummus is intake. I I literally buy 10 tubs of hummus uh, a week Uh, and you might say, well, why don't you make it? Well, that's another issue altogether but my son has some strong opinions about hummus. So he only (laughs) likes one brand of hummus. So anyway, so, you know, that's sort of, people call me the hummus lady at, you know, at Trader Joe's. So, um, you know, so it wasn't so hard for him, you know, for my kids. And my husband's very open to, you know, hearing. And when he started seeing me change, it was interesting over time, he started changing too, Um, and he himself on his own just started taking a little less, a little less, and now he doesn't eat meat either. And so, but again, it's, I feel like that's, that process is important for everyone to go on their own journey, you know, with work, um, how did, how was it? Well, gosh, you know, anybody who tells you that eating fruits and vegetables, at least even 10 years ago, now they would say, um, you know, okay, like nice, nice, pat, pat, let move on, you know, and nobody in the science world would really, you know, you're considered almost quackish, um, fr- a fringe. I would say. Um, so I remember my partner when I was ad- changing my lifestyle and learn and learned so much about it and started educating people this way. He'd said, "Look, you know, I don't know what you're doing over there. Um, you know, I, if it were me, I'd like to eat my steak and take my Crestor too. Crestor is a statin that brings your cholesterol down." Uh, and I would just look at him like, "Wait, what? Like it doesn't work that way? It's not that red meat only has." saturated fat in it that will worsen your LDL cholesterol, which makes you build plaque, but there's nitrates, there's sodium, there's you know oxidation and free radical. I mean, there's just so many things that, that you can attribute red meat to, but that's the problem, right? And medication is a one mechanism treatment. And so that's good because we need to sort of deal with the trigger uh the immediate or the, the main mechanism but there's all these other mechanisms that are in place where you can't just take a, a pill there's no magic pill and so i definitely got friction like that i mean um i have you know friends in my world in my plant world who would say stuff like well you know that this isn't lucrative what you're doing or where are all the patients like you're supposed to be suggesting stents and interventions and I would say, you know what, they they get better, you know, and so there's always this like, huh, like that's not not the way it's supposed to go, right? I mean, so that you know, that's that's another whole topic, which is the fundamental flaw in medicine right now, is that our we are reimbursed as hospitals and as physicians or whatever you want to, or uh, at for acuity-based care, not value-based care. So um, while there's a shift towards some value-based care overall, it's still acuity-based. So if I see four patients in an hour, I see them for 15 minutes and I bill them, as a high acuity patient, because whatever they need a stent or, um, then they will get, um, they, I, I will build way more than if I spend an hour with a patient and talk to them about nutrition and lifestyle. And I just see one patient. So again, there's just that fundamental flaw, like that one patient that I will see will do better and will live longer. And yet, Yet I, I would not be, I won't, I wouldn't see the benefit of that. And so that's very tricky, right? Because hospitals and practices are looking to make, they're looking for their bottom line. And, um, if you can't deliver that bottom line, then you'd be in trouble. That's why a lot of lifestyle and nutrition practices fail, um, because they, um, it's very hard to survive in an insurance-based world in the, in 2020, 2022.
1: In 2020 as well, but, um, I want to, we're going to have to, to have you back and, uh, and, and delve into the systemic flaws because, you know, I think anyone listening, um, certainly the majority of our community would agree (laughs) that it's just so frustrating, obviously that, um, you know, you don't have to know much about the, the system to, to understand that, um, people are profiting from the healthcare system you, even a nonprofit right that they, they are they are generating funds through the activity of engaging with patients and so if you truly heal a patient and they don't come back to you there are no more funds right like the, i mean you don't you don't have to get into the complicated mechanisms of payers and providers and and patients right and and kind of the 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 complications of our System, You just have to look at it from that standpoint, like you say, which is you can spend some time, you can heal someone and then they never come back. And that's the opposite of how our system works today. And yet, that's exactly how it should work, right? (laughs) We should heal people and hope that they, you know, with the exception of like acute emergency care, like a car accident, right? We should hope they never engage with the healthcare system. That'd be like the best outcome. And yet, our system is not incentivized that way right so anyway that's uh um...
0: so so dysfunctional i mean you could go into a whole like messy little cycle in your head because, you know, people are frustrated with doctors. A lot of people in the nutrition world and patients will say, you know, the doctors don't help me. Well, that's very true. Doctors are not helping their patients. And I know that, Um, but they're also kind of stuck themselves, right? Because they've been trained without nutrition education. They're being, they're being told to see patients every 15 minutes, they're burnt out, they're tired, and they don't have the education so much of the time to do that nutrition and lifestyle counseling. So the poor physician's unhappy, the patient is unhappy, and only person who seems to benefit is the guy who checks off and gets the bill, you know? And so I just, you know, such a dysfunctional uh, system, you know, which is why actually I part of my practice now has shifted to, to, telemedicine actually, so that I, and it's a non-insurance based practice because, and I know that that's hard for some people, but I feel like I am a better, if I can spend an hour with you and really teach you and talk to you about your, your health and your heart and how to get better, then I'm happier. And then my patient's happier. You know, it's funny. There's this disconnect in medicine too, which is, which is that we'll pay for our, our dog to go to the den, the doctor we will pay for their meds they'll pay for their toys we'll go to the dentist we'll pay for that but for some reason we there's this disconnect in myself too as a patient i don't want to pay for stuff but it's a it's a dysfunctional system right because if our system doesn't work then you have to come out of the system so the doctors are coming out of the system and the patients have to decide like if the system isn't working then you should find doctors outside of um the insurance system because the sad reality is um that the current medical system as you've said is not conducive to healing.
1: Hundred percent. So, let's use that uh, to transition to some some practical tips and trips for for our listeners. Because it sounds like you and I could could be nerds about the the systemic flaws that we uh, have to overcome. And, and I hope one day we. We will, um, and I know plant-based medicine, plant-based nutrition, you know, uh, is is going to be a huge part of it, along with the other lifestyle medicine pillars that we all believe in: social purpose, uh, or I should say, social connection, purpose, sleep, etc. But, but focusing in on nutrition, um, m- maybe give us a, a high-level understanding: what what is inflammation? Because we We hear about that all the time. We hear about it more and more in terms of the genesis of these chronic diseases that we all uh, face. So Maybe we can start there and then move into more of how do we manage inflammation with food?
0: Yes. So inflammation, you know, I always tell people irritation, it's like your body's mad at you. It's irritated. Um, There's something you're doing to your body to irritate it. So it, some people like to talk about genes and epigenetics and, you know, there's just, you know, it's basically you have this genetic code, right? We all have this code. And while you can talk about, you know, there's the human code and then there's the gut code too, which is all, um, which is all true. You have, um, um, you have your bacteria and your gut, for instance, have a load of genetic code as well. And so that's why I'm obsessed with the gut biome, but you know, another topic as well. So, um, so you have all this genetic code that you are born with, and then there are all these environmental changes that what they, you know, your epigenetics, things that surround the genes that actually are responsible or tr- what trigger when you, you're that gene to be expressed. And then, so, so say I, I, you know, I have rheumatoid arthritis and I always had it, but what triggered that gene to get expressed? Well, typically there's some sort of inflammatory trigger. So when there's, I always tell people, it's like an imbalance between all the goods in your, in your, like the resources you have versus the demands. So, you know, the things we have in our life that are, our demands. So many could just shout out in this podcast, they'd say, well, gosh, my stress, my work stress the lack of movement, um, uh, poor diet, uh, poor water, noise pollution, uh, you know, all these things would be considered demands on our body. Um, but then there's all these resources, right? And there's resources are things like sleep and and um, exercise and movement and nutri- healthy nutrition and and stress reduction techniques like yoga and meditation. So there's this imbalance between them. And yet, you know, and so what happens is most of us are living in a world of major all demands and not enough nurturing of our resources. So unlike our phone, which may have 7% um, battery life and we panic and we go and put it in the charger, we don't charge ourselves. So because we don't charge ourselves, we're constantly on. And so that triggers that's a, there's this constant state of stress, um, and arguably initially it's eustress or healthy stress. And then over time it's distress, um, because there's just so much of it all the time. And so when there's this imbalance in stress and recovery, then you trigger inflammation. Um, if you specifically look at one of those mechanisms, it's through that gut. So what happens is if you look at food in particular, to answer your question, So if you look at the broad topic, you'd say that too much distress on your body versus eustress or healthy stress or recovery, then there's going to be an imbalance and that's going to trigger inflammation. Well, how you asked, how does food specifically do that? Well, when you eat food and you eat food, it goes into your gut and your gut has to decide what to do with that food. And so when we say gut, we're talking about the colon, the stomach, the colon, and what, there's all these bacteria in there. And so if you eat healthy, fibrous, mostly plant-based foods, but loads and loads of fiber, then you're going to get all these healthy bugs in your gut. And those healthy bugs then helps express healthy uh, responses, right? And, um, but if you eat unhealthy foods, what happens is it goes into your gut and then the bacteria become unhealthy, And then also what happens is the tight junctions and they're literally called tight junctions between the intestinal epithelial cells or the gut cells, we can call them, they break and they break and all of the tissue, all of the the cells or bacteria, the food products or the pathogens that you don't want into your gut or into your bloodstream, they come in. So they enter into your bloodstream. And so where you used to have junctions to block it, they break and that's called a leaky gut. And so or intestinal permeability or leaky gut. And so then all those pathogens come into your bloodstream and you trigger inflammation. Well, a little bit of inflammation is okay, our body needs a little inflammation to combat to learn how to handle illness, but it's these states of chronic inflammation and the chronic inflammation doesn't just sit in the gut your body's not stupid it pushes it all over the place. So it pushes it out into other parts of the body. And so if you already have a genetic predisposition to an illness and then you get that inflammatory trigger, boom, there's the illness. So that's why we see so much more type one diabetes. We're seeing so much inflammatory bowel disease. We're seeing Crohn's disease. Where are all these autoimmune conditions coming from? Well, you know, it's all these inflammatory triggers triggering maybe an underlying um, predisposition.
1: I love the analogy that, you know, of a cell phone dying and the urgency with which for that we charge that device. And yet, you know, um, every day, like you were suggesting about all nighters, you know, it's like a badge of uh, badge of honor that we push our bodies past, uh, probably past the breaking point. In a lot of cases, I know for sure I'm I, I fall into that category. I do not do enough Recovery enough, stress reduction enough of those, those practices that that the science would, would encourage us to do. So I am going to think about that cell phone analogy a lot. That that, Good. that was very effective.
0: <laughs> Good. Um, I, I think that's the thing is that we don't because we, we feel like we can handle it. We can handle it. But the reality is you can't handle it. The body isn't meant to handle the amount of stress that we do. And so you think, oh, well, I'm eating really healthy and uh, I'll be okay. But again, it's that mental mental game we play with ourselves everybody needs recovery everybody needs to spend time restoring and you just have to make the time to do it
1: yeah you know i heard a a quote i think it actually came from hugh jackman the actor but that um about meditation like there's never a day that uh you know you you will feel like you have 10 minutes to meditate right um and yet it's like showering you you just you just we make time to shower right like you just have to you have to build that habit and have to have that discipline and not negotiate with yourself and and create that space so it is an active uh uh effort for me i'm i'm trying to figure out how to how to develop that that habit for more recovery um activities but you know with with kids and career and parents and everything else that we try to do and it's so much easier to prioritize that that endorphin boosting exercise, right? You know, for me at least, I, I love getting on a on a bike for for thirty minutes and sweating and getting my heart rate up, and it's it's so easy to prioritize that, but it is so difficult to prioritize the the sort of slow, relaxing yoga that that I know is the other side of the coin and and that we have to do. Um, so maybe we can use that as a jumping off point to briefly talk about uh, what are those those mechanisms that we can employ to manage inflammation. And and obviously there's food, but, but maybe you can, you know, kind of lay out the, the spectrum for us. And, and from your vantage point, you know, is, is food equal to these other areas? I know you, you spoke about the importance of the microbiome is, is food on a, on another level in terms of it's, impact or efficacy? Um, and and should, should we be looking at food as sort of the primary way to manage inflammation? Or, or are those recovery efforts to sleep? You know, what, how do you think about um, the ways to manage inflammation?
0: That's a good question. I don't think we know the answer to it. I mean, is, and I think it's, it's more that maybe we don't, we do know the answer. It's more that it's different for different people, right? Different things impact people differently. And so, and I don't think you can unfortunately do one without the other. And so I think nutrition is a huge component for triggering inflammation because right now we're eating the standard Western diet, which is so processed, high in meat products, low in fiber, high in refined foods. And so that is a really, um, that's a really significant problem, right? And so that triggers so much inflammation. So it's almost like it's an easier fix. And so that's a great place to start because it does make such a huge impact and our diet is so skewed towards those refined, um, unhealthy, low fiber foods. And so I love working with people on nutrition and often start with that, but not on everyone. I, I, I definitely work, some people come in and they think they're gonna get an education on nutrition and we end up meditating for 30 minutes. You know, it just sort of depends on the person, but but I, I do think nutrition is a huge part of it. And so um, sometimes, you know, I always tell people like, well, I can't give up my meat. I love it too much. And I'll say, well, you know, I guess maybe that's not the point. And I don't think the point is to say you have to give up meat or again, I'm just the type of person that says goal is to eat more plants. So the goal is to eat more plants, period. So, whether there's room for animal products in your life or not is less relevant to me than the fact that I need you to eat more plants. And sometimes that's an easier conversation to have with patients to say, okay, well, I can do that. And so, and we sometimes we'll start with cutting out, well, let's just cut out the fake food. And we will say, let's cut out the fake food and add in some real food. And so a lot of times um, that's where we start and then adding in loads and loads of greens. I mean, everybody needs to eat loads of greens, you know, five to seven to 10 servings of fruits and vegetables every day, you know, oats and quinoa, which is loaded in protein and um, even brown rice, if you'd like it and tofu and tempeh. I mean, there's just so many things that I, you know, I'm a huge fan of probiotics. Um, and so I use a lot of natural probiotics in my life. So all of these things are really um, important pro or anti-inflammatory things you can do. And then just removing all of those pro-inflammatory foods is really important. And then to add to those dietary changes. And so that's what we talk about in the cookbook. I know, I know we've gotten off topic a lot, but um, we talk about that a lot in the cookbook. And so in the beginning of the book, we try to go through stress and, and distress. And then we try to talk about the things you can do with your food that are anti-inflammatory. And so you, you know, somebody might come to me and say, well, look, I you know I ate all these um, chia seeds or flax seeds and you told me flax seeds are anti-inflammatory. Well, yes, of course, but it's not just one thing, right? You have to sort of be involved on multiple levels and help and add in a lot more things like pulling out some of that negative and then adding back some of that positive. But when you do that, you're going to improve your, decrease your inflammation and you decrease your inflammation, then you're going to improve your brain health, I like it's not rocket science in the sense of like, it'll only help one thing. It helps it all. Like if you decrease your inflammation, you have less dementia, less Alzheimer's, you have less heart disease, you have less autoimmune disease, your gut works better, your joints are better. Like, so it's like a... everything gets better with those kind of removals and additions of those healthy foods. And so we tried to go through that in the book and, and we tried to, and then some people say, well, I have deficiency in iron or I have a deficiency in calcium. And so we tried to give people lists of things. Well, this is what you should eat if you have a specific deficiency, like women who menstruate heavily uh, often struggle with iron. Well, okay. These are the foods that have a lot of iron. Um, There's every, everything. And so we tried to go through that and, and we tried to give everybody a, a sort of how to like, okay, this is what we want you to do the first week. And this is what we want you to have for breakfast. This is what you want to have lunch and that for dinner. Because when we wrote the body on fire book, Um, that was the feedback we got. Like, okay, I really get it. I understand what you want me to do, but how do I do it? So we really tried to give that how-to manual into the book of, this is when I want you to have breakfast. This is when I want you to have lunch. And then in the middle, we try to add in sort of those other components, like make sure that you're trying to sleep. You know, the average adult, for instance, should sleep seven to nine hours a night. Um, But how many adults sleep seven to nine hours? I I often do talks and I'll ask that question. And I don't know, 20% people will raise their hand, say they sleep that much. Um, and so I try to add in a lot of those components that also will help because I think slowly moving the, the needle towards the side of healthier choices, um, will is, is movement forward. And, um, it's easy to get overwhelmed and think, oh God, I can't do all of these things. Well, then don't, don't do it all at once. Just try sometimes just start with a few things like, okay, I'm going to take out fake food and I'm going to add in fruits and vegetables and then just leave it. And then do that for a couple of weeks and see how you do and how you feel. And then slowly add in one more change. And, Oh, you know what? I, I'm going to try to sleep a little bit more. Okay, great. I'm going to, and I'm going to try to switch off my social media. So I don't listen to check my social media after nine o'clock. Uh, and that's hard for people and sort of getting people to make those kind of changes slowly and slowly. I mean, I know change is hard, but you know, change is good. Right. I and mean, we know change is good. It's important. And it is it is something that we all need to learn to do is to change based on who we are at that time. And we all can do it and it doesn't have to be all at once, it can be slowly. And it just, you know, you just have to want to make the change.
1: Oh, wow. Well, I think that is a great, um, well, before we wrap up, let me ask you this. Uh, if if you had to encourage folks one, one way or the other, Is it more that removing inflammatory foods uh, has the biggest impact, or is it more that we should focus on on the anti-inflammatory foods, uh, whatever those might be? And maybe you can can give some examples to define it. Obviously, you you go into that breadth of detail in in your book and then in the cookbook. Um, But I'm I'm just curious. I, I, I know you said with with patients, right? Obviously, you counsel them just remove the the fake foods, let's add more plant foods. It's obviously the, the place to focus. But let's say you're talking to a, a largely plant-based audience today, um, you know, and, and use myself as an example. You know, I, I really focus on trying to make sure that I'm getting the the antioxidant, the micronutrient-rich plant foods like berries and, and spinach and Swiss chard, you know, in my smoothies every day because I, I know that I'm maybe not getting them every single night when sometimes we we run out of time you know you you're a parent of three you know how it goes um so sometimes we we do go out to dinner you know and and have a veggie burger if we're out with friends or or have a pizza night if we ran out of time and we have to feed ourselves something so i'm just curious you know how much of it is is making sure that you're you're putting out the fire with these anti-inflammatory foods or Or how much of it is, you know, prevention is worth a pound, an ounce of prevention is worth a a pound of cure, you know, it's best not to start the fire to begin with. And that's maybe what you really focus on in in your personal health, or or is that what the science would suggest?
0: You know, I, I think it's more that it's like a spectrum, you know, like you have to almost kind of, you know, maybe, maybe it's like a flywheel, like you kind of have to do all the little components and it kind of takes off. Um, But is there one that's better than the other? I think that what we know is that they're all good. Um, For some people, um, you know, I do find that if I do remove some of those pro-inflammatory foods, I do start making people, they're already amazed um, by like making that simple change of saying no fake food and just add in some more plants. People are blown away by how much better they feel just from that simple change. And so I do think that removing your, you have to remove the trigger. You have to remove the triggers for sure. Um, And, you know, but it's, it's almost like if you have a knife on your skin and the knife is cutting you well, you know, y- and you're you're hurting and you're in pain. And so, well, it's more, you've got to do both, right? You got to take the knife off and then you got to treat the area with antibacterial or you got to wash it and clean it with saline. And so it's that combination. You, you won't get better if you just put the salt water on it because the knife is still cutting you uh, and you won't get better if you take the knife away and you let all the bacteria live there. Right. So it's kind of like they, they live, they live hand in hand. And um, um, could I say one is better than the other? I don't know if I could say that, but I I would say that just adding in more plant, maybe I can, because I I can say that just eating in a bunch of greens, but yet you're still adding in all these insults. um, Are you going to get better? Yeah, you probably get a little bit better. But if that if you don't take out some of those insults, you're going to still be, um, um, you know, a day late and a dollar short. Now regarding your comment about um, sometimes you do the, you know, you, you eat a veggie burger or you do the, you know, you throw everything to a shake, you know, I think the key here, and sometimes I struggle in the plant-based movement that people are trying to be so perfect, or we expect people to be perfect. Life is not perfect, and you're doing the best you can. And you try in some days you're going to have a veggie burger. And some days you're going to throw everything into a smoothie and drink it and say, you know what, this is how I'm going to get my greens. So. It's not about that moment. It's about sort of as long as every day you're making a conscious effort to sort of think about those things for this morning. I had two green smoothies because I was, I'm, I'm taking a flight today. And so I was a little bit worried I won't get my, um, I won't, I won't get my meals the way I want them. So. I had two green smoothies. Is a smoothie my most perfect way to get my greens? No, but I think that they're fine. Um, and so I think the, the takeaway from that is, is everybody's doing the best they can. It just should be as much as you can of those sort of healthy raw foods where you have to chew. Yeah, but not every day can you do that. So you you do fine with a smoothie once in a while.
1: Um, I know we're over time, so I apologize that maybe you can answer this really briefly um and uh why why is a smoothie you know aside from the fact that you know the mouth is part of your microbiome and there's saliva and all those other reactions can maybe you expand on that and explain why why is eating a salad better than eating a salad via smoothie
0: yeah. I mean, um, it's just that you're breaking down the fiber, right? So you're breaking down the fiber when you put it in the smoothie and so you get the nutrients, but you're getting a lot a less of the fiber component. Now, the less, the more you chew, the better you activate nitric oxide often in your mouth. Um, and so nitric oxide dilates blood vessels. Um, the more you eat those greens and those raw forms, that's good. Again, I, I don't also want to, I don't want people to take away from this. Oh God, I, she wants me to eat all raw vegetables. I'll never get that done. I would say that if I, if I could get you to eat more of those vegetables, that'd be great. Some people say, well, can I eat frozen? Can I eat, uh, I, I want you to focus on just eating the vegetables. If they're frozen, great. If they're if they're not organic, great. If they're you know, have to be organic or not? I don't care. Just eat them. So I mean, I want. Pe- yes, there's the go- there's the optimal, and then there's the really good enough, and and a shake is in the good enough category. Would it be awesome if I could have a raw salad every day that's bigger than my head, that's full of greens and loads and loads of veggies, and um, and I could spend an hour eating it and slowly digesting it and letting all of and really chewing each bite so that all the activation of all the uh nitric oxide is activated and my gut flora is changing so well yes but you know what i'm okay with good enough
1: (laughs) well i think that is an awesome place to end uh okay with good enough (laughs) as long as you're you're making a little progress every day um I, I am so looking forward to getting into this cookbook. Like I mentioned, I, I just got it yesterday, so I haven't tried too many of the uh, recipes, but I will say just looking at the uh, endorsements, you've you've received praise from Dr. Dean Ornish, Dr. Esselstyn, Dr. Oakley, Dr. Barnard. Um, so, you know, pretty much the luminaries of the plant-based uh um, you know, space and and uh, so so I encourage everyone to go check that out. And um, where can folks uh, find more about you or your your co-author, Dr. Jothy Rao? Um, and again, it's it's pronounced Uguval, but <laughs> spelled Agarwal as in A G G A R W A L. So Google that, I'm sure you'll find the books, Instagram, but where, where do you prefer people reach out to you and get in touch?
0: Yeah, so, you know, if you're looking for sort of that appointment experience, I, I find that the Com website, it was newly redone about two months ago. And so it's much more user-friendly. And so there's a lot of space to sort of, kind of maybe build some motivation on how to make change and um, how to make an appointment. And there's also um, access, you can access the books and sort of um, from that website. Um, but you can always just go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble to whatever, uh, you know, or ask your local library to, to order it, which a lot of my patients will just ask their library and they will get it. Um, but I think the website's the best way to handle it. I do use social media. So I use Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, Um, but I won't answer any medical questions that are personal um, on that, on social media, which sometimes happens. So I would just caution people from asking me medical questions, but uh, general questions or general comments are always uh, appreciated uh, on social media or the website, drmonicaagrawal.com.
1: Well, thank you so much for spending a little bit of your time with us today. Thank you for for sharing your story and a little of your wisdom. I'm so looking forward to around two because we we covered so much ground today that we we went a mile wide and and an inch deep, and there are so <laughs> many questions that I was writing down as you were talking. So I'm looking forward to to the next time we're able to dig into all of this. But in the meanwhile, thank you so much. And uh, I encourage everyone to check out uh, Body on Fire, the the book and now the anti-inflammatory cookbook as well.
0: Yes. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been a pleasure to be here. Uh, you know, next time we talk, I have to tell you about the farm that I'm started working on. I'm the chief medical officer. I didn't even talk about the farm and soil and the things that we're working on there. I mean, there's just so much fun stuff to discuss and get excited about together. And I just hope the audience has come away from this and say, you know what, I can do this. There's so much I can do, small changes, and just feel empowered to make the changes to feel better and do better. And thanks so much for having me on the show.
1: Thank you and yep we're going to have to schedule a couple hours to, to dig into all that we knew even the microbiome we've got this list. So anyway thank you have a great rest of your day
0: all righty take care good luck with the baby
1: thank you